From the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Hi, I'm Robert Seidman. Thank you for listening. And for this episode, I am once again joined by the big leads, Ryan Glassbeagle and uh, media consultant and former Fox Sports exec, Patrick Crakes. Ryan, Patrick, welcome back to the podcast. Great to be here. Likewise. So uh, recently there's been some focus on uh, the salaries of talent uh, and the recent focus is on ESPN, but uh, I don't really see this as an ESPN thing per se. Uh, but as the industry bellwether, ESPN strategic and tactical moves certainly merit watching. And uh, I can even buy into the idea that ESPN merits additional scrutiny and uh, light up the layoffs of the last couple of years. But when I look at the end results of these stories, uh, what I really see is people like Katie Nolan and Michelle Beadle wind up being demonized over the, their salaries. And uh, when I ask myself the question of whether they did anything uh, to merit the demonization that can be explained that can't be explained away by petty envy, uh, which I consider something very, very different than the human toll of layoffs, I can't really come up with uh, anything that Katie and Michelle did. And I'm happy to talk about petty envy, believe me, uh, but I'm not fond <laughs> of trying to hide petty envy under the umbrella of the human toll of layoffs. And uh, whether it's a million for Katie Nolan or the 20 to 30 million number that's getting tossed around for Get Up, there is a desire to contrast those salaries versus the layoffs. And I think that desire is reasonable. But when I read these, these pieces, the stories never seem to want to also contrast it versus, say, you know, the $1.4 billion or so in annual revenue uh, that evaporated for ESPN as a result of losing around 14 million households over the last uh, five years or so. Or to the, you know, the 10 plus billion that's still coming in. And I do find those emissions kind of curious. And I wanted to have Ryan and Patrick back on together uh, to talk about it. Because Ryan definitely has some skin in the game uh, when it comes to such stories. And Patrick's, Patrick's experience uh, gives him a really, really good idea of how ESPN executives are thinking about it. So uh, I'd like to kick it off this way. I'll, I'll, uh, Patrick, I'll keep you out of trouble, but I'll, I'll, I'll get Ryan in trouble early. Ryan, a trusted source <laughs> provides you with Pablo Torre's salary. What's your approach from there? Um, well, okay, so I've, I've had knowledge that Katie's salary was over seven figures for the last several months, and I personally decided that the backlash that Marsham faced in his um, mentions there are hundreds of people like replying critically of him doing that. I decided that that was going to happen and that I didn't feel that that negativity uh, that was outweighed by the newsworthiness of the information. And so I'm, look, there's lots of things Marshan finds out before me and publishes before I had any idea. So this isn't like, Oh my God, I knew that. And I was sitting on it, but I made a decision not to post that. Now, that being said, I didn't have an issue with his story because, frankly, this is a big topic of conversation amongst people who work for ESPN. There are a lot of talents there, and it's not just about layoffs. There are a lot of people who are doing really good work on either daily shows or anything like that, and they come up on a contract year and are told by ESPN, we have no money to pay you to give you a raise. We think you're doing great work, but 
you have to either take your current salary or leave. Like that's just the business right now. So when somebody who has kind of like earned a step up the ladder at ESPN over the course of several years or even more is told that they can't get a raise or that their position has to be eliminated. But Katie goes there. Um, she hasn't had a television rating success. Yes, she has social buzz, but there they haven't. Uh, she hasn't accomplished the same things in media as some of the other people who I'm not who I'm not naming have. And and she just automatically is making like two or three times as much as they are. It causes a lot of resentment, especially when up to this point, it's been like over a year since we knew that she was going to ESPN, even if it wasn't official yet, and they're not really doing very much with her. So, uh, Patrick, what, just like in general, I don't need you to get into any specifics, but when, you, but when you hear that sort of situation where, you know, some budget allocation goes one way and there is money and then in other departments there's not money, how do you think about that? And, and you know, what's your take on how all that comes to pass? Well, I think as a senior executive, uh, there's two lanes, right? There's the business lane and how we're investing our capital to try to um, multiply the value of that, right? Both in human capital. Um, and infrastructure, of which I consider talent part of infrastructure, the same thing as if you were to invest in a whole new generation of, of cameras or switchers or things like that for net control rooms versus the operational morale of the company. All right. So let's go with the operational morale first. It's not great that everybody knows what everybody's salary is. It's not great. Um, ESPN is a very big organization. And there's lots of different reasons why lots of different things happen in big organizations. There's different profit centers, there's different cost structures, and it is very hard to normalize salaries or even get them close and have uh, any kind of system that works properly. Um, at any moment, somebody's paid more than somebody else. So it's net, well, that's one of the reasons why you try to keep those things as close to the vest as possible. It doesn't help anything. So. That's a problem. If what Ryan's describing is going on, you know, that's as a as somebody who, you know, has has always cared about management and operational leadership, that that would concern me a lot. And how you get that under control is one problem that senior leadership's got to address. The other one, I think, is that you know who gets paid what, and especially the talent versus everybody else. Remember, the talent is 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 the face of the company to your customers. So they are always going to make more money than everybody else. And if management decides certain personalities or certain faces across certain distribution platforms have an opportunity to build a business like in the digital space for ESPN or advance the business on the television side, then, you know, you have to kind of invest in that. Do those plays always work out? No. I mean, television is filled with examples of, of bets that didn't go right. I always joke that the only other business where you can fail as much as you fail in television and be successful is baseball, where if you strike out seven out of ten times, you go to the Hall of Fame. And so, you know, if you, if you feel that um, talent, which is just like infrastructure, right, because they're carrying the flag for you, Yep. can do something to advance your business needs, then you invest in them. And, um, and that's just the decisions that senior management has to make. And then senior management's held accountable for that. So, 
So I think I answered your question, but I view it as two lines. In, in Martian's piece, I don't know that he explicitly said it, but I felt that it was implied that, um, that there were a lot of situations at ESPN over the last, I don't know, 10 years, even more maybe, where John Skipper would pick a young person who he thinks is really smart and really talented and kind of just set that person up for life. And this could happen with or without the layers of middle management in between that talent and Skipper. You saw it with Bill Simmons. You saw it maybe with Dan Levitard. I think Pablo and Bomani, Mike and Jamel, these were decisions that I think that were made by John Skipper. And I feel like it's not out of the realm of possibility that that was also the case with Katie. So it really surprised me in that story that they made Ryan Spoon, who's been rising through the ranks of the ESPN executive ladder, now is in charge of like social digital video and they put they made him available for a quote which i don't think that i've seen him quoted in a while and he just like i guess there's really nothing it's a tough decision from espn pr's perspective there whether to make somebody available or not because if you do you have an executive out there defending a seven-figure salary that as i said there are a lot of people there who are not happy about that and then if you don't make anybody available, then it looks like you're just hanging her out to dry. So that's a tough decision from there. Um, it, yeah, as far as what Patrick was describing, like you have to decide who you make your bets on for television. But um, Spoon's quote was that they don't want to use her for television. I can actually see the logic behind taking these people and making them digital focus because as we've seen with like i don't know maybe grantland isn't the best example because it was a couple years before you could monetize those type of digital personalities the way you can now but with barstool and other places like that you there is now um a marketplace where you could be paying somebody a million dollars a year and if you have the distribution of espn you could easily make that back three or fourfold by selling targeted ads on the basis of them so i can understand actually why they would think that katie would be a good digital investment but i think there's a lot of frustration with how slowly things are moving um because she's just only on the Snapchat a couple minutes a week. She hosts a weekly podcast that um, if it is lighting the world on fire with metrics, they haven't explained that. And then she's going to have this weekly digital show called Always Late, which um, is an interesting title given that uh, there are some whispers that she has some issues with tardiness so uh it's uh i don't i don't i'm like trying not to be mean or to get anybody in trouble but it, it really is kind of this feels like a holdover from the last administration that espn would like to make work but i don't know that it is going to yeah. So, so Ryan, and I'm just asking for your opinion. I'm not asking you to tell me what you think Andrew thinks. 
But but is but is in your opinion is is it fair to think that when when Andrew starts talking about the human toll of layoffs, which he does a lot with me, um, is it fair for me to think that uh, that it's really just all almost all of it's coming is internal strife from the people who are still at ESPN? Well, okay, so like. Andrew worked at ESPN for several years, if not more, and he had a job where he had to be on the road over a third of the year. Like the Yankees were in the West Coast, and he was just gone from his family for two weeks. Um, So he's looking at this. He's looking at somebody making a million dollars for not producing that much content from the lens of somebody who. I assume was making significantly less than that and constantly working to feed their content machine. So I think that that's a perspective that you need to think about when you're reading him. So, so Patrick, when, when you think about the, you know, the, the, the internal strife, um, how, how, if, if like, if you were, if you were in that environment, what, what, what would be the kind of thing you might try to do? to uh, fix that. Is that something you feel comfortable talking about? I'm not asking you to talk about any ESPN talent. I'm just thinking in a similar situation where there's that kind of a divisive environment to work in. Uh, how would you attack that? Um, well, you know, look, that's, that's a, uh, that's a difficult issue. Um, uh, it, uh, you know, just directionally when you've got, and, and we don't know if this is really happening. What we know is we hear, you know, we hear reports about this kind of stuff. Um, I think it's normal, some of it, right? Um, but just for avoidance of doubt, the talent always makes more money than everybody else. So that's if you work at ESPN, you understand that, I think, implicitly. I mean, I would think you would. It's just the truth. They're the face of the company. They get paid more. Um, when you're looking at morale problems, if you have them like this, I mean, one of the things that probably – the leader who's responsible for that group has to do is they have to begin to try to set a consistent tone about what the objectives are and explain why directionally, um, you know, why certain pieces are coming into place to hit those objectives. Um, I always, I always like transparency with the team. Um, I was taught that at a very young age uh, in, in the United States army. And so transparency is really important. I don't like secrets necessarily. Um, there are some secrets that have to be kept. And explain, you know, here's the objective, here's the investment, and here's how we all fit into that, and here's how we all win in the end. If the idea is is that Katie is the is the tip of the spear for a new digital personality flagship platform, that makes complete sense. And um, ESPN could really could use a couple of those, I think, from a business perspective, just my personal opinion, not, uh, not that I know more than they do. But, but you know, this, this kind of investment, this kind of effort makes complete business sense. So um, that's, that's, uh, that's kind of my two cents on it. I, I think it makes sense. I think you have to be transparent about objectives and communicate that to the team so that everybody kind of understands what they're doing and, and, and where we are now and where we hope to be and why these decisions are happening. So, yeah, no, this is part of the strategy that they're doing with, um, like, it, it, this is really new in the last several months. I mean, if you, if you separate out Grantland, which we already talked about, and, like, that was supposed to be this, like, kind of grand talent incubation experiment that for a variety of reasons – that probably don't need to be discussed now. It did not endure, but they, 
they're they're doing a bunch of new digital shows. Like they're doing that co-branded show Buckets with Cycle with um, Rob Perez and Cassidy Hubbard, which has gotten a lot of pickup. And they announced a new show with like Jacoby and Rosillo in conjunction with this Katie Nolan show. So they're they're starting to really think about building digital only personalities and not being shackled to the television operation. And I agree with Patrick that that's a good idea on their part. Uh, so, so Patrick, what's your advice for me other than to ignore it completely? I mean, is there, is there any good perspective uh, <laughs> to, to, to think about these things as they come over the transom other than, you know, maybe trying to just deliberately tune it out? Well, I think when it comes, look, um, the talent, the, one of the reasons why the talent gets compensated so much is because they are lightning rods, right? They're, again, they're the face of the company, right? So they, they, they get compensated to handle some of that, right? So when there's something to fixate on, you're always going to gravitate on the talent. And that's one of the reasons why they get paid as much as they do. There's lots of other reasons, but um, that's one of the reasons why you get paid if you're uh, one of the very, very senior executive at these companies a lot. You know, you're going to get shot at because people are going to be invested in your content. It's media. People care about it. And so, you know, they're going to have something to say, and everyone's an expert on Twitter, and that's <laughs> not a bad thing necessarily because people have opinions and they want to air them. And sometimes that can be a good feedback mechanism. But what I would suggest is that um, it's always been this way. And if you think about where they're going with their digital properties and where you think about, you know, the investment in talent like, like Katie, um, you know, we're just getting started there, really. And what if it turns out right? Yep. I mean, you have to place some bets. And I don't know what their P&L says for a successful digital franchise, but my guess is it's got to be into the tens of millions of dollars at least. And if you've invested a couple million and you yield you know, tens of millions of dollars over several years, maybe even forever, um, it puts in context that, you know, it makes the company healthier from a financial perspective, which, you know, lessens the incentive to do reorganizations and things like that. Um, certainly in the context of originally of, you know, talking about whether you pay talent or you pay people uh, uh, what you think the market, their market price is simply because you had a reorg, uh, <clears throat> Reorgs happen, right? And they happen for a reason. Companies change a lot. I, 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 don't, I don't think I remember ESPN really going through a major reorg before they went through that one. And, and I thought it, they only had to, you know, it, was, it, was, it seemed to make sense to me from a business perspective. That doesn't mean that it's a good, that anybody's happy about it. But you can't place everything in the context of that, every business decision in the context of that. They're sometimes unrelated. Yeah. So. I would just I would just suggest that, you know, investment in salaries, you know, it's great to know information, the talent, you know, that stuff's going to get out there. I would say that you judge it by let's see what they're doing and let's see what the results are and then have a conversation about whether it made sense or not. Well, I think that, that there's starting to be a feeling that, I don't know, six, eight months in or however long it's been since she officially signed there that it's he's got to be hearing from people who's like, who are like, this is an unmitigated disaster. And it's <laughs> never going to work. And he's getting out there in front of, well, he's getting out there in front of kind of the, whatever the implosion, but um, the, 
I wanted to switch and ask Pat, sorry to like hijack your show, Bob, but I wanted to ask Patrick's opinion on the UFC deal because he usually likes these media rights deals for both sides. I look at it as if they're, if they're just doing it in a vacuum of trying to drive subscribers to the ESPN plus app, they need to get 2.5 million subscribers at $5 a year to make up for the $150 million layout. And I don't see that. I mean, at $5 a month and I don't see them doing that. So why was this a good deal for ESPN? Well, look, um, the business isn't going to be evaluated. ESPN plus isn't a business that I think they expect to be in the black in the next two or three years. It has to have content acquired for it. And the all in deal to me, and I'm still a little confused. We don't know yet. It seems like to me all the content that I mean, all the content that currently airs on Fox Sports brands, that's still out there. This is not all the UFC content. Matter of fact, I expect that a lot of the live fighting is incremental expansion from international and Fight Pass doesn't doesn't look like it was impacted. Matter of fact, you're going to be able to purchase Fight Pass inside the ESPN Plus ecosystem and pay per views. So you got to evaluate the deal. Um, from more lanes than just what they're paying for the live fighting. ESPN's linear networks are going to get at, uh, and, and its distribution digital bundles are going to get access to the UFC library. It's not exclusive, but I'm not sure that matters very much. Some of this UFC content, especially the pay-per-view rears, are extraordinarily effective viewing vehicles. And this content is a huge utility player, and ESPN has a lot of shelf space to fill. So I think when you look at it all in, it's a really great um, utilitarian deal for ESPN because they acquire flagship content for ESPN+. Plus. The thing's been around not very long, and they've already made acquisitions for it. I think as far as just on a P&L basis for ESPN+, Plus, I can't believe anybody expects it to make money this year. Um, they've got some kind of plan. At some point, it goes cash flow positive, but not now. Um, and then if you take a look at the other things that the company can use for its other distribution outlets, for its other other entities that it has, it gives them a lot of things to work with. So I, I think it was a, a, a good deal for ESPN and probably a good deal for the UFC. Um, and um, now the question is, where's the other content? Where's it staying? Um, and how much is somebody going to pay for that? Logically, the UFC, the rest of the rights um, for television are going to come down to Fox or NBC, and it'll be interesting to see kind of which one of those outlets values it more. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing to keep in mind is, and I didn't know the number was 150 million, Ryan. So if you've got that number, I, I hadn't seen that. But it, so if ESPN paid 150 million and Ari was out in the marketplace saying he wanted 450 million, which was, I'm sure, a negotiation number. You know, the question is, how much is one of those outlets going to pay and what's going to be the final number for for either NBC or Fox? If the number's under, you know, 250 million, I think that's a great deal for them. I'm assuming that I'm right about yeah, or the ESPN had it at plus fight. for ESPN. Okay, well, well, Sir John is the equivalent of a, of, of a modern day oracle, so we will we will go with Sir John's interpretation of this rights deal. But um, but the point of the matter is is that um, um, the big question to me is those 15 fights on ESPN Plus are they coming from the current Fox inventory or are they incremental? I think they're. I'm guessing most of them are incremental. I could be wrong. If they're incremental, then there's a whole bunch of live fighting inventory sitting out there that is, quite frankly, going to be pretty valuable. 
but you know, what's the marketplace going to pay for it? And then we're going to pivot and start talking about the NHL and other things. But um, I just wonder when that shoe is going to, I just wonder when that's going to happen. You also got the WWE out there, which fits into this. And um, you know, so I'm, I'm waiting to figure out where that UFC content is going to land. I don't know. And I would assume maybe we're going to hear an announcement soon, but maybe, maybe that's still, that's still hashing that out. I bet we hear about it before up front, so that is soon. That's like next week. Yeah. Maybe not WWE, but I bet we might even hear about WWE before up but I bet you we hear about the rest of the UFC before that. Yeah. I mean, I would I would think that if possible, Fox would love to be able to announce the WWE at the upfront, but I you know, I don't really know. Um and um I think But they can't air it until or... like late next year. I know, but it's always great to have cool stuff to talk about at the upfront because you want to be active and exciting and they've got a new strategy and they want to show everybody they're committed to it. I mean, there's a lot of good energy reasons to get up there and talk about that. But if they don't have it, they don't have it. You know, I will say one thing that's interesting again. Um, you know, again, we've gone through what it looks like. Well, we'll see where the rest of the UFC content lands, but um, I assume it's going to land at a traditional media company. It's once again another big inventory, B-plus, A-minus level sport investment in an established uh, first world country where the tech players did not come in and turn the table over. And um, I keep waiting for that. I keep being told that's happening. I keep being told it's coming. I believe it's coming. I just I keep waiting for it. I mean, if it didn't happen now, you know, we're a couple years away from it actually happening, which may make sense. But, you know, sometimes people really are excited about something to happen and it takes a while longer to sort it out. And that's maybe the case with that narrative. Ryan, uh, any, any uh, other questions for Patrick you want to ask? Um, no, I think, look, I understand the, um, he, he can't get into the specifics of the community stuff. Um, and, the UFC thing was really what I thought was the most interesting thing to talk to with him today. Um, that that being piracy thing that he said by the New York Times was fascinating, but I don't know how much um, the like your listeners want to hear him talk about the nuances of kind of like soccer piracy in Europe and the Middle East. Uh, Patrick, what were your thoughts on that story? Well, I, you know, um, obviously it's a nightmare for BN. It's tied up in geopolitics, which we're not actually used to seeing in the media business when it comes to password sharing. So that's a definite new new wrinkle. But I will say in general, password sharing is clearly a problem for pay television. And it's probably a real problem for anybody who has a direct-to-consumer product. You know, moving towards solutions to that, making it – Pricing the product right and making it easy for customers to get into their content um, will help slow down piracy because I do believe we've seen that most people, if they can get at the content for a reasonable price they want, they'll choose to pay for it as opposed to pirating it. So I think most password sharing happens pretty innocently, right? And um, I think that in the United States, at least, um, some of it doesn't, but I think most of it happens. Families, you know, log in, use mom and dad's stuff. You know, you, yep. you graduate from college and you're used to using mom and dad's stuff. Um, so I think it's, you know, one of the things that, that, that the media business is going to have to address is, and maybe voice will do this, right? You know, maybe voice will make it easy to log into your content. That's, that's what we're being promised. 
Um, you know, if it's easy to do and it's priced right, people have no incentive to pirate things. So it's really incumbent upon the design of the system to try to make it make it that way, and that'll reduce piracy from the honest people. And then then the you know, the dishonest people. Well, that's a different kind of situation. That's what you have a, a your legal team for, and and that's a different that's a governmental problem. Uh. Real quick, I do think the password sharing could be solved, but a lot of these companies have made the kind of conscious decision that they want to get people really hooked on and used to streaming their product before they make them pay for it. Because, for example, like the DirecTV Sunday Ticket app and the SiriusXM app, you can only have one person like using that at a time. Now, could you do password sharing with that? Um, within those parameters, yes, but um, the one person at a time is a real inhibitor if you have somebody who really wants to be using it at that given moment, which I think for big sporting events, they do. So ESPN has like a limit of like several people or more that can be using it at once, and so does Netflix, but I think the technology exists that when they want to really clamp down on it and make sure that only one person's using it at a time, it's going to be really swift, abrupt transition. Um, Patrick, you wanted to go back and talk about something to do with the talents? Uh, yeah, and by the way, Ryan, I agree with you. Yeah, just, just real quickly, you know, it's important to understand that, you know, ESPN and, and comparing it to Fox for many, many years had different kind of approaches to talent. You know, ESPN producing an enormous amount of programming hours under the both their live events and their sports center brand, they had a system. Right. And they didn't necessarily build stars, even though stars emerged and they would sometimes let those stars go because the system was the, st the, the star was really the system, the show, um, whatever over at Fox, because as Ed Gorin used to call us, Ed used to call us the Gucci um, of sports back when he had the NFL, NASCAR, Major League Baseball. Um, and the biggest, biggest and best events in that, um, he'd say, you know, look, we're, we're a little different. Um, we're a high-end high -end producer of, of, of some content, but we're not trying to do everything ESPN's trying to do. So we, we build stars, right? So we have stars, and the Fox NFL Sunday crew is an example of that, and there's other examples elsewhere, um, Joe Buck and others. Um, about eight or nine years ago, I think ESPN began to see what was going on in the digital space with the influencers and everything else, and they began to pivot, and certainly with the emergence of PTI and First Take, where they saw the impact of personalities on a good show format really made a difference. Um, they began to move towards a star-based system, and I think now maybe some of the things going on culturally, this is a guess, okay, so a guess, has something to do with that conflict in the culture. Um, I don't know for sure, but, uh, you know, I think ESPN's totally right to shift to the star mentality, uh, at least in some way, in their own way of doing it, which I think they are. But th that could be one explanation for why you hear a lot about that at ESPN and you don't hear so much about it um, internally from the Fox Sports people. They're used to it more. I mean, it could be. I mean, that's one idea. I, I, I like reasonable speculation like that. I, I think it makes sense. Ryan, <laughs> Ryan, anything to add to that? No, I think that he's right about that. Um, ESPN does they, the the transition might have started. I keep talking about him, but like with Bill Simmons, where they saw like how much he was able to kind of 
um, draw a devoted readership to him, even if it was from the ESPN.com main page. They just saw that how like sticky and loyal his readers were. And that type of like metrics where you can see how attached somebody is to a single person are a lot easier to deduce on the internet than they are on television. And that probably was the beginning of their shift in philosophy. Sounds good. All right, I'll get you both out of here with this, with the, with a question neither one of you probably want to answer. Uh, who's in the NBA Finals and who's winning? <laughs> uh, Warriors over Cavs in six games. Although, if Steph Curry's legs don't work, then it's wide open. Pat? Uh, the infamous. The infamous Seth Carey's legs don't work card. Um, I don't know how I beat that. Um, I say believe one in seven and LeBron James scores a hundred points. Wow. Wow. Oh, that, 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 that is, that is, that is pretty bold. I think I, I think I, I think I bold the bet on that one right now. Pat. <laughs> well, look, you know what? Uh, good, I, good talking. You, you got, got to differentiate yourself. Hey, hey, both of you. Thanks. Thanks again for joining the podcast. All right, thank My you. Budget. Have Bye. a good one. I'm sure we'll do this again in a few weeks. Thanks again to Pat and Ryan for joining the podcast. You can find all the past podcasts on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and pretty much everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.